Welcome back to 101, A Beginner's Guide to Life. This week on Cooking 101, we're joined by the incredibly talented Chef Lou. Lou has been working as a chef for over a decade, with an extended tenure as the executive chef of the Hilton Hotel and Conference Center in College Station, Texas. Lou talks us through different techniques, equipment, and other beginner tools to help you master your kitchen, no matter where you're starting. For more info on Chef Lou, check out the links in the description. Awesome. We're here with Chef Lou. Lou, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. You staying safe? Oh, yeah, yeah. Trying to do my best to stay healthy. Yeah. Are you going into work right now? Oh, man. No, no, no. So I am not like most chefs. I actually came up in and currently work with hotels, and I'm actually a consultant right now. So my side of things are kind of shut down. There's really no business for me at this particular point in time. Awesome. So we've got you all evening. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time out of the busy schedule, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm crazy busy. It's awesome. So uh, I feel like hotel cooking is a very unique field of cooking. How did, how did you get into that? And what I believe you told me your formal title is uh, what is it? A catering consultant? Well, well, I'm just a chef consultant. Actually, I I do more than just the culinary side, do business side as well. Have some some partners that reach out to me to do like due diligence for businesses they're interested in purchasing just to make sure it's like a viable business and whatnot. Pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like my dream job that I'm trying to make. It's like you uh, got a lot in common with uh, a lot of our other guests too. <laughs> oh, well, that's awesome. But yeah, hotels are definitely a different animal than most uh, environments just because since you do a lot of catering and, and you have like guests coming in all the time, there's like one thing you can't say to someone staying at a hotel and that's N-O, no, you cannot say it. So you kind of have to learn how to how to cook on the fly, do a whole bunch of different things, be able to cook any style of cuisine, any genre. So I, I think personally, like as far as a pro is concerned, you know, like coming up in hotels is like a crash course in anything you've ever wanted to learn. Well, now I got to ask, how often do people order off menu at hotels? Oh, not like all the time, but it, it, it does it does happen. I've heard some crazy stories about guys that worked like at the Waldorf in New York where somebody came in and was like, hey, I want an ostrich egg. And so, you know, they were able to make it happen, fortunately. But that that cook, (laughs) dude, it was insane. I got to cook an ostrich egg today and open it and everything, you know, and it's like those things are huge and it was really, really intense. That's crazy. Holy cow. I feel like every single one of our listeners is about to become the worst hotel guest imaginable. Oh, yeah, please, please don't. Actually, those, those stories, sometimes they backfire. If you've ever heard of uh, Alinea, it's like one of the best restaurants in the country. It's in Chicago. I guess the story goes, some guy comes in and, and starts asking for French fries. They have one, they're one of those restaurants where it's like a 20 course meal and, and you can't really make any adjustments. Like they tell you beforehand, they want to know like if you're a vegetarian or something like that so that everything is already pre-planned. And this guy was like, I want French fries. The Euro service industry, give me French fries. And the story goes that the executive chef there, Chef Grant, like makes some French fries on the spot. And then at the end of the night, they give the guy like a $500 check, which is like the normal tab for what you would pay to eat there. And he like lost his mind and was like, I only ordered French fries. And they're kind of like, well, that's what you get for, you know, coming to this restaurant and trying to be a jerk. Everybody pays the flat rate. Sorry, man. Yeah, exactly. 
Hey, I respect that. That's a good power move. It's like, hey, if you're going to come here, you're going to pay our price. I love it. Either eat all 20 courses or pay $500 for some french fries. Hope they were good. Right? They better. Uh, well, cool. So, Lou, how long have you been in the culinary world? Oh, man. I mean, I, I would say professionally about, I guess, close to 10 years now. I'm still kind of young and early on in my career. That's why I said, you know, I'm trying to make my dream happen. But, I mean, like most of us, I, I kind of grew up around kitchens as a child, you know, with cooking with my grandparents, my parents, mom, dad, that kind of thing. And that's one of those things that I absolutely love about cooking is it, it's really universal and everybody does it. That's a lot of grace for you to say everybody does it because I, I <laughs> do not know that I consider what I do to be cooking. My most advanced meal is legitimately eggs on a sandwich with lunch meat. And that's beautiful. It tastes amazing, doesn't it? It's so good. Hey, that's the beginning and end of the goal, right? Yeah, for sure. So, Lou, what was it that made you want to get into not just cooking, but cooking professionally? But to be honest, as a child, like I was a kid, I remember spending lots of time hanging out with the, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather. And he always had like Food Network on and PBS and, you know, we'd be watching culinary stuff all the time. Julia Childs, I forget the guy's last name, Rick. He, he's, he's always into like Latin and Mexican cuisines. And I got, the guy's got like one of the most amazing voices ever. He's got like that really soft <laughs> kind of thing going on. But yeah, so I always appreciated it like as a kid. And I'd be like, oh man, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And then I got this thing in my head that like the arts don't make money. They're not like a respected profession kind of thing. That kind of goes back to like my my father, he was a musician when I was a kid and still is to this day, but like decided to be an architect just to like, you know, do the thing for the family kind of thing. And when it was all said and done, I kind of felt like that's what I needed to do, that I, I needed to do architecture, you know, use my uh, creative skill set in a different way or like the artistic side would come out or something. And so I was like going to school and I was in College Station doing my thing and kind of lost there for a minute and I was working at the Hilton there in College Station and I made friends with the executive chef there and he kind of he kind of brought to light to me how respected chefs can be and like how much the profession is really like a it's a way to make money and you can make respectable kinds of money you know like like a good middle class person you know like it's a, it's, it's it's not like everybody's out there making millions of dollars, but you can, you know, support your family and have like a real life doing it. And I'll, I'll never forget one day I walked up to him and I was like, Hey man, like I'm ready to start my career. Like I'm done with this like school thing. I'm done going into debt. I'm over it. And he was kind of like, all right, prove it. And he like made me wash dishes, man. Legit. Like I had to wash dishes for a hot minute. It was some of the hardest work I ever done. I mean, like when I took over that kitchen, I always had at least two dishwashers on staff per shift, but I was like washing dishes by myself. <laughs> it was nuts. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like to me, honestly, like as much as anybody else is important in the kitchen, like those guys that wash dishes are like, they're the lifeblood, man. No, no guy washing the dishes means everyone else is hating life, hating the world and it, it just doesn't work. Oh, so would you say when you started in the Hilton, that's when you started taking up really professional uh, level cooking? 
Yeah, for sure. That's that was my my first professional cooking spot. So were you doing like cooking on your own just for fun before that? Or did you like learn all of it on the fly there? Well, before I definitely was cooking for fun on my own. And even before I had kind of approached our exec there at the time about it, he and I had already been talking about stuff and he was kind of guiding me. I was I was already very interested. It was it was something that I had always been doing. I'll, I'll never forget when I first moved out of my house, all my roommates, like I'm like, you know, 18 years old and all my roommates are like, oh yeah, Lou's cooking today. And like, they were excited because I'd be cooking something like, you know, like spaghetti and meat sauce, but I was the only one cooking in the house. So they, they loved it. Sounds like a similar experience to what I had living with William. Yeah. Sounds about right. I wasn't the only one. We had another roommate as well that did a little bit of cooking, but definitely not the bulk of my college roommates. No, I was the king of going out to eat unless you're cooking for me. That's all I did. So. <laughs> so the best part about that time is is uh, my friends always had a rule. He who cooks does not clean. Yeah, that's a good rule. That's a rule that I respect, but I don't love it. But oh, cool. So as you were learning, what are some of the dishes that you started with to to get really good at the skills of cooking? Oh man. Wow. That's, that's kind of a tough one. Just because I was like in a hotel, there wasn't like there, it was like crash course and everything, but definitely risotto was one of those things that like, as a young cook, you're like, Oh yeah, risotto. That's, that's like, that's what real chefs do. And like you learn the technique of making risotto and that it's it's like painstaking and kind of laborious and you're sitting there in front of this one thing for 20 to 30 minutes while you're while you're babysitting it and you're just having to like love it the whole time and it, it I don't know I think it, it really kind of teaches you how much of, of a labor of love cooking is uh kind of thing you know and just out of curiosity what is risotto <laughs> <laughs> risotto is is well, oh man. So I, I, I would say that's kind of a trick question as I'm sure you'll catch this as we like continue our conversation, but I'm a firm believer that you don't teach people how to cook through recipes. You, you teach them techniques. And so traditionally risotto is an Italian rice or grain that is cooked with, with an open lid and you're continuously adding broth or water or liquid to it as you're stirring it. And uh, eventually you get this, you know, finished product that would be risotto as most people would see and know it in the world. But like for me, risotto is really the technique of, of taking a, any, you know, glutinous starch that you can sit there and stir with and add, continuously add uh, liquid to get a cooked, con- cooked consistency that, you know, you so desire. Because I've done the same thing with like potatoes, sweet potatoes barley, all sorts of different things. Like I said, like for me, it's it's really more a technique than a, a recipe. Gotcha. Yeah, they don't serve risotto at Chick-fil-A, so I don't think that I've had it before. <laughs> but I'll put it on my list to try. I, I love Chick-fil-A as much as the next person. All right, Lou. So um, obviously, you know, you've mentioned a couple of Italian dishes. You, and you also said hotels are a bit of a crash course in all the different cuisines. Is there is there a cuisine that maybe you prefer or that maybe you grew up cooking that's got like a special place in your heart? So um, special place in my heart is definitely Cuban cuisine. My my paternal family is from Cuba and so like, you know, strong heritage, big cooking culture. 
you know, it's kind of a, an amalgam of like African and Spanish cuisines, but definitely for some reason, I, I guess growing up, I, uh, I don't know if it was cause like Olive Garden was this thing in the nineties or something, <laughs> but I, I swear I felt like Italian cuisine was like, you know, the accoutrement of like, what is fine dining Oh, and how so wrong I was, but but yeah, I, I guess kind of always kind of had a little love for that. And I, I guess maybe just maybe it's kind of one of those things like I don't think I would really cook a lot of Italian these days, but I think it kind of lends itself to so many different things. Like nowadays, I, I absolutely love Mediterranean cuisine. And, you know, mm. that like kind of has kind of its own meta, like Italian kind of stuff. Like those are so close and ingrained to each other. I don't know. Like the more and more you get into food, the more and more you realize everything is really kind of at its core, basically the same concepts, poor people needing to eat and coming up with creative ways to make those things, you know, better than you would originally see them like to make it edible, palatable. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do whenever I'm thinking about cooking something is like researching the cuisine and figuring out what spices are unique to it. Because if you look at like the way you season Mexican food and the way you season Italian food, I'd say like 80% of the seasonings are the same and yet they're so different in flavor. Yeah. Like you still got your oregano, you still got your basil, obviously salt, pepper, garlic, onions, like those are in everything. And yet a completed dish tastes so different from one another because they've got their own little unique, I don't know, signature flavors. Oh yeah, definitely. They got a profile that kind of hits some of the same notes, but when it all comes down together, like when you like build them up, you build them a little bit differently. So you get this like completely different thing at the end. It's really, really cool. I, I, I appreciate that you kind of take that time to like really look. It, it's mostly just my own curiosity. Like, cause whenever I look up a recipe, I see so many ingredients in common and it's just like, okay, what's this I love Mediterranean food as well. And I feel like a lot of Eastern cuisines are really hard for me to learn because growing up, my family, you know, did a lot of, you know, Italian food, American, Americanized versions of it too. Obviously we weren't, you know, making pad thai from scratch and we didn't have, you know, we weren't making gyro. And so there's a lot of these different seasonings that I've just got no concept of. Mm -hmm. And so just trying to figure out where those flavors come from is just kind of, kind of a personal mission. Yeah. I mean, I, I must admit, I was kind of fortunate growing up that like within my own family, there's like so many different random cultures that have kind of come together. Like my aunt, my mother's sister married a gentleman from Saudi. And so some of my first like experiences with some of those Middle Eastern flavors and spices and how they kind of, you know, really are spice forward, but it's not spicy in the way that one would think I'm just waiting for William to be like, what do you mean by spice? I don't <laughs> no, I don't mean like spicy as in, you know, like, like it burns. I, I mean, like spices as in like coriander or cardamom or cumin or whatever. All right. You lost me again. Oh, I think I did it on purpose. I'm sorry. That's okay. I love it. So do you have like in particular a dish that you're like, this is really fun to make, but I actually don't like to eat it or a dish you're like, I hate to make it, but it's one of my favorite to eat. Oh man, a dish I hate to make, but what's one of, one of my favorite, or I like to make it and I don't want to eat it. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm gonna go with the one that I learned from another chef colleague of mine. It's like deep fried duck confit. It is so painstaking to make. It is just an absolute pain to make because it's like a three day process to make this. But when it's all said and done. And you get like that first bite 
of deep fried duck confit, you're like, oh my God, this is what cooking is for. I love it. That's awesome. I feel like that's almost the entire French cuisine. Right. I don't think they spent a single second thinking about the most efficient way to cook a meal. <laughs> like Coco Vine, right? <laughs> yes. I've I've in my own free time looked at like all the you know the French mother sauces and tried to master some of those and oh yeah obviously I just cook at home so I don't I, I like shortcuts I like cheating it's all <laughs> about getting a delicious meal on the table and as little work as possible so you know I'll, I'll like use a blender to emulsify my hollandaise and oh, you know Aiden, uh, have you ever done it without a blender not successfully I, well successfully my girlfriend and i uh my girlfriend loves eggs benedict and so that's a brunch we do all the time Ooh. she used to master it by herself just like she would literally do it in a pint glass in a pot of water and somehow manage to pull together a delicious hollandaise which blows my mind we successfully got it together one time and then i tried a blender method that resulted in perfect hollandaise and never looked back so what kind of blender do you use i have to ask because I've done the cheater way a few times and I've had it where it like messes up for me because I just sometimes don't want to make enough of it. So my absolute favorite website to get recipes from is called Serious Eats. I don't know if you've spent any time on there, but they get really specific and scientific with their recipes. Huh? And so they, they basically teach you kind of a method of how to do it. They they recommend using an immersion blender in a okay. glass that's just slightly larger than the immersion blender, like so it just barely fits in there. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so that way it sort of pulls everything down slowly on its own and sort mm-hmm. of emulsifies itself. I don't have an immersion blender. I bought my girlfriend one, but I've just got like a little $30 Costco blender. So I just, you know, uh, for the holidays specifically, just like I uh, melt the butter and then I just very, very slowly pour it in. Uh, and like that little bit of heat and blending all mixes it together. And I, I could send you, I'll send you his recipe to get the exact proportions of it. But I've tried it with like the way my girlfriend used to make a hollandaise. I tried it with her proportions and I tried it with his, which seemed vastly different, like a whole extra egg yolk and half as much butter. Uh, and both turned out great. Oh, wow. Interesting. So like uh, I always was taught that one pound of butter can fit in an egg yolk if you make your hollandaise properly. You can get a whole pound of butter that seems extreme, but it also wouldn't surprise me. Like I said, you're, you're, you're treading dangerous waters. We keep talking about eggs, and, and I can, like, go for days. <laughs> all right. I know what eggs, butter, and blenders are. Hey, and you've got all the ingredients. Butter. You're basically there. Well, you need acid. Yeah, a little lemon juice. Oh, yeah. Okay, there we go. Now I, I'm an expert now. I feel like I could make whatever we're talking about. It's hollandaise. It's one of the... Mother sauces that Hayden was talking about, French mother sauces. Gotcha. Yeah, actually, I guess if we're going to talk about like really learning how to cook, that's that's where you got to start French cuisine. You think so? I was going to I was going to kind of ask that later if you thought there was a, a maybe a specific cuisine or type of food to start with. Yeah, I mean, professionally, by the way, I am so sorry I did that to you. I can't believe I stole your thunder, Hayden. But yeah, totally French cuisine. It's it, it teaches you kind of like what I was talking about before. I'm more about learning techniques and teaching techniques than recipes. So the French really understood technique as a whole. And they really decided how much, you know, they realized early on how much cooking is a science and how much it really is kind of like the first science. And I feel like a lot of like big name chefs that you look up who are like doing like, you know, some of the unique foods out there, like I'm blanking on his name, but the guy who started the, was it Kobe, 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 the food truck in LA? Oh, Koji. Yeah. Koji. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Thank you. 
he started off, you know, growing up, I believe it's Korean cuisine. He grew up, you know, cooking that with his family and then went and got French trained and took all of the French techniques and applied that to the cuisine that he grew up eating and all of a sudden sort of elevated it even more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that every chef has like their own unique journey, but at some point in time, every chef kind of needs that French cuisine somewhere in it because there's just so much uh, technically sound about French cuisine. Now, the flavors aren't, you know, really my thing personally. I, I like the French have this like idea that like everything's supposed to be light and dainty and everything. That's not my, th- my <laughs> life. I'm kind of like, I want to punch you in the mouth with a whole bunch of flavor. That's me. But, you know, it just depends on where you're, where you're coming from or where you're trying to go. All right, William, what's lost you the most so far? So I've kind of been out since you talked about hollandaise sauce. <laughs> I think I'm keeping up now. I think my biggest thing is I'm realizing that I am the ultimate beginner. So on that note, what is a great place to start for a beginner who's learning to cook? Well, so there's a few things like me personally, when I first started, honestly, the internet is a great resource just for starters. But like the most important skill that I feel like it's overlooked is knife technique. And there's this like really awesome video grounded with Shun. You can look it up on YouTube like right now. It's 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 such a gem of a video. I actually use it when I show my own people like that I'm trying to get to work in my kitchen. You'd be surprised like how many professional cooks don't really know how to use a knife right. And so like to me, that's like the first first place is how to use a knife. Just because one, it's it's about safety. And two, when you're when you're showing that much appreciation to, to how you're cutting something. It, it really shows up at the end, you know, the, like the, the major idea is that you want everything to cook at the same, the same, you know, rate. So that's like, that's like the biggest, biggest thing for me. That's like my, one of the, one of my biggest resources is out in ground Shun choosing the right kitchen knife video. Wow. Okay. That's not even where I would have guessed we would start. Man, Alton Brown is how I first fell in love with cooking. Oh my gosh, yes. Don't even... Good eats. Don't Yes. And you know what's crazy? It's like he would tell you himself he's not really a chef. No, nah, he's really just... Uh, he kind of just breaks... He's more of a scientist than a chef. He just really breaks down, you know, the chemical yeah. components of foods and how to make the dish that way. Actually, I saw this interview with him where he starts talking about how, like, when he got thrown onto Iron Chef, he learned so much so quick just because all these chefs are, like, doing this insane stuff and he's, like, having to talk about it. So he, apparently he has like three computers and he's just like Googling stuff left and right, like trying to figure it out. <laughs> That's William during the podcast. You're laughing. I literally have a tab that says risotto on top because I was like, <laughs> I want to make sure I'm not asking him the dumbest question ever. Oh, no, no. There's never a dumb question. To be honest with you, like one of the first things that you learn in culinary world is like there's never a dumb question. You always want to write everything down and there's like so many different ways to do the same thing. Like even me, like when, when I come into a kitchen, I'm always trying to learn from everyone else, even like, you know, the dishwasher per se, like he may know some random technique that I've never heard of or, or contemplated. And, you know, it's just something that you take and you add to your arsenal. I love, honestly, the respect you have for the dishwasher that just shows how much you value each part of the kitchen and how like how, how much it means to you each different team member so i do respect that a ton so 
when you walk into a kitchen, what is the most important thing for you to see? Cleanliness is like the most important thing all day, every day. I don't even want to like be in a kitchen if it's dirty. You would not like cooking with me. It's okay. <laughs> I'm working on getting better. I, I have a tendency to not clean up after myself and then look at the kitchen when I'm done and be a little horrified that a human being could create such a mess. We all we all get there. I mean, honestly, like sometimes even now I have like a hard time just because I'm so used to being in like such a large kitchen space. Like I'll go into some of these tiny kitchens, like pro kitchens that are just teeny tiny dinky little things. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I have no space. It's the worst thing. And then everything gets cluttered. But there's actually some some techniques, Hayden, I'll, I'll, I'll show you maybe later or something. Okay, so I think my next question is, what are the essentials for any kitchen? Essentials? For me, mine are a cast iron skillet is like one of the most important things ever. A really good kitchen knife, like a, a good chef's knife, because you can do just about anything with it. A spatula, a rubber spat, like one that is is heat resistant. And when I talk about a spatula, I'm not talking about like one that you use to like like a turner, you know, I'm like to, to flip an egg. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about one that you use to like scrape a bowl, like you would think of like as a with a pastry chef kind of thing. Heat resistant because you can use it as a turner. It's like the one thing I don't think I could live without in a kitchen. My poor girlfriend when I first like got into her kitchen she didn't have one and i was like what are what is wrong with you oh i, I like almost lost my mind i felt so bad <laughs> it's good to know that uh spatula is the most important thing in the kitchen yes i mean yeah well yeah <laughs> and i definitely do not own the one you're talking about i was like oh i've got a spatula and then you said not the one you're thinking of and i was said dang it <laughs> Well, I guess the thing is, is like, cause you also, you probably, even with a cast iron, you probably need like one of those miniature, like omelet egg pans, you know, like a small egg pan because nothing works like a nonstick egg pan. And the only way you can keep that nonstick is by using one of those, those nifty little spatulas I'm talking about, or else you're just going to scratch it. And then that thing is non no longer nonstick. Yeah. And what use is a stick egg pan? Right. Then every egg is scrambled. There's, there's another. There are other ways to cook an egg. That can't be right. <laughs> I actually, this is a real conversation I had recently, and it was a friend of mine said I always order scrambled eggs because the only time I know exactly what I'm getting when I order it. That you know I can say fried or over easy, but I'm never actually sure what's going to come out. With scrambled, I know exactly what's coming out. William, I'm sorry, but your friend. Tell them there's like five different ways to order scrambled eggs. <laughs> oh my goodness, you just shattered my world. I like, I don't even know what to do with that information. Yeah, uh, I mean, me personally, I like mine soft scrambled. Okay, we're gonna get off eggs because if we keep going, I'm gonna be so lost. <laughs> hey, that's the first thing you need to master, William. Eggs, go for it. Well, apparently, it takes about a decade to master eggs, so I'm a little blind. <laughs> Oh man, I, I've been in it for about a decade and I have yet to master eggs. Although I do have like my own personal way that I do breakfast eggs, but that's like my little secret. You you can't talk us through it? That was going to be my next question. Man, this one I kind of hold close to the vest, but I mean, how, how, how popular is your podcast? Am I going to like share my like 
my like one random potentially genius idea. Are we talking about how popular is it right now or how popular do William and I like to pretend it's going to be? Okay, well, you know what? I- I'll, I'll share it. Right? <laughs> I'll tell you what, if it gets really popular, I'll go back and I'll cut the segment out. <laughs> um, so I-, I like to do this play on bacon and eggs for brunch. So it's like a, a savory flan, a Parmesan flan with a bacon jam on top and like this really beautiful crumbled Parmesan. And yes, you can crumble Parmesan if you do it right atop it and it, it's like a total like you know play on your head it, it, it kind of the whole idea is to like mess with your head well congratulations you've been messing with my head for the past half hour so <laughs> william wait till you try my bacon and eggs i am pumped for it uh, i i'm gonna hold you to that i will come find you once the world's back open and have those bacon and eggs well, may- maybe Hayden will, and Hayden and his lady, lady will invite me over to like cook at her housewarming party or something. Man, you got an open door policy with the way you cook. Just you come into the kitchen anytime. <laughs> yeah, that's a better deal for Hayden than it is for you. That's that. Be careful. You know, you're gonna end up being stuck being my sous chef in the kitchen. Promise. I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> Man, you're gonna criticize my knife skills for sure. <laughs> don't worry, I won't let you cut anything. <laughs> Yeah, that's the good thing is I'm safe. I'm never going to be anyone's sous chef. They're never going to want me in the kitchen. I'll slow them down. So what we'll do, William, is we'll make for you and we'll just be like, your job is to sit there and stir this this risotto. <laughs> oh, you lucky son of a gun. That sounds like torture to me, but it's probably <laughs> good for me. So I'm in. I'd love to learn. On that note, what is like a great starter meal for someone who knows little to none about cooking to get started with? Man, I, I, I hate to sound cliche, but a whole roasted chicken in the oven is like one of those things that it, it, it's, it seems kind of simple, but there you can mess it up. And, and if you do it, but, but if you do it right, it it's, can be like one of the most like other world experiences if it's done right. You know, like the, like the thighs like start to like kind of like confit in their own fat and it like just oh just delicious and then like the skin if you cook it right it like you know becomes crispy and it crackles and yeah it's just one of those things that is like just absolutely beautiful and it, it's simple enough that anybody can do it you can like throw some in the same pan and like enjoy it as a whole meal i know that sounds like really kind of plain jane but like that's just real to me the amount of times i've eaten dried chicken tells me that chicken will never be plain jane okay can you walk us through what that process looks like? Yeah, definitely. For me and in, in, like in my kitchens generally, I want to start with fresh herbs. You know, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to have like an herb garden or like even just a rosemary plant outside, you know, you want to get some fresh herbs, kind of chop them up together, mix them, salt, pepper, and acid is one of those things that like will, will always be important to anything. So you kind of, you want to, you know, get a good handful. Like, don't don't be afraid to to play with the herbs and spices when you're cooking. I think people get like afraid to to cook with some of those things because you know it can kind of run away from you. But like, that's the only way you really learn how to balance properly is just kind of playing with it. And you know, so like for me, I would do generally like sage, rosemary, and then I'd have salt, pepper, coriander that'd probably be like my base. And I'd, I'd rub that on there 
And uh, I like to start with a cold oven, oven personally and put it and put my chicken in a, oh, my whole chicken in a roasting pan, throw it in a cold oven and turn it on 350 and, and let it go for a good 40 minutes to an hour. Uh, I haven't tried it yet myself, but have you tried basically you remove the backbone and you splay it open and you lay yeah. it flat and so that the dark meat's on top and the white meat's on bottom? Yep, spatchcock. That's uh that's like the spatchcock is the term that for like the product that you would buy that's like already prepped cooked that way. And, okay. and okay. learning how to break down a chicken is like one of my like next things that you need to do as a thing. So like first is knife skills and second is learning how to break down a whole chicken. Wow. Okay. So how do you break down a chicken? Uh, I know it's hard without being able to see it, but yeah, I mean, honestly, there's some pretty great videos online. Gordon Ramsay has one. But really, the first thing is you what you want to do is there's a few different kind of schools of thought. There's like classic ways to do it. But, you know, you want to familiar, familiarize yourself with the anatomy of the bird. So you, the first thing I do when I'm doing it is I pull the, I like get one leg, you know, the, with the, the legs towards me. I get a leg and I kind of pinch from the thigh, the skin. Like you want to pull it. I'm sorry. Other way around. I pull the skin from the breast away from the thigh and make a little incision on both sides. And then I kind of flip it and I break the legs. And since I, I like to work with it this way, cause uh, of like back facing back up, breast side down, legs towards me after I break it. And then I, you know, kind of get my knife next to the thigh and cut, cut it off both sides. And you want to really try to get the oyster because that's like one of the most delicious like things on a whole chicken ever. It's like this little itty bitty piece of brown meat that's like on the back. It's it's like really hard to to miss. But like they used to call it like the the like trash man's like gold because they they like end up in the trash all the time because people just don't know any better. And then once you go there, you you start cutting down the breast remove the wings and you know you're kind of home free okay that sounds like a video i want to watch just to figure out how to do it but like the cool thing is is once you've done that especially once you get it down like you take anything that you've cooked like anything you're cooking after that is, is gonna be so much better like me personally I'll, I'll like buy a whole chicken i'll break it down and then i can take that carcass and i have you know i throw it in the oven roast it pull it out and then throw it in some water and I have chicken stock and having fresh chicken stock, like takes anybody's food to the next level, like any, anybody's food, like even pro kitchens that use like chicken baits, like if they decide to switch to a whole chicken and make their own stock, it, it's like next level. And what is chicken stock used for? Anything and everything. It just depends. Like you can, anything that traditionally somebody would just put water in, I add stock. So like when I'm making quinoa, barley, rice, risotto, soups, anything. So if I cook my dollar ramen in chicken stock, it's going to be even better? Oh yeah. Oh, it'll be like next level. Okay. Stock is almost a soup in and of itself, so. Yeah, no, it really is. Like, And the best part about it is like it's great to have on hand. Like if you're feeling under the weather, like that stuff – it, it really does like it, it can make you healthy how long uh how long do you keep your stock for so i freeze mine because like i don't want it to go bad and i'll i'll like kind of go on crazy binges where i like break down like five chickens for like a couple of weeks in the house 
but I'll, I'll freeze it. But generally I try not to keep it like thawed out more than three or four days. Gotcha. And I'm assuming you freeze the parts of the chicken as well, or do you just eat a lot for a day? I mean, it just depends on what I'm trying to do. So like sometimes let's say I want to make like a big batch of like uh chicken salad or whatever, or like I'm doing like, you know, fajitas or something. I don't know. It just really depends on what I'm trying to do that week like at home for me at home. Also going back a little bit on this, I'm just curious, do you have your own herb garden? No, not yet. Oh man, that, that broke my heart. No, not yet. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> oh no, it's a, it's okay. It's like, it's on the list. Uh, buy a house herb garden, I think is like immediately afterwards, but the herb garden still might happen first. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Hey, I respect that. My girlfriend bought me a rosemary plant as a gift because I, I basically want everything to be garlic, rosemary, and lemon. I mean, there's nothing wrong with garlic, rosemary, and lemon. I grew up in a family. My dad has been cooking like forever. So my dad's an amazing chef, which is, you know, shame on me for not following in his footsteps. But I literally grew up in a house with an herb garden right out back. So he would go pick whatever he wanted. And and for me, I didn't know that was normal until I grew up and realized that, A, I can't cook. And B, most people's dads can't cook the way mine could. So they didn't go <laughs> pick their fresh parsley from the back. Yeah, can like so, William. When are you inviting us over to your dad's house? Anytime. They would love to have you. Hayden's been over plenty of times. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm positive your dad's cooked for him, and and hopefully I complimented him appropriately. <laughs> he definitely has. So, and you probably didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm spoiled. I I have I never had a need to cook because I was spoiled, and it came back to bite me. So this is where I'm learning now. I was so, going to say, yeah, at, at the time I hated it, but I realized in hindsight, I was very fortunate that my parents made me start cooking at a really young age. Oh, definitely. That's awesome. So like, I, I'm not going to lie. I like, I first started learning to cook because my mom told me girls liked it. Nice. I definitely respect that. And it has been like, I wish I knew how to do this so I could impress a girl. I mean, honestly, that's half the reason I bought my sous vide is so I could cook for a girl someday. Hey, <laughs> makes it a lot easier. I got to say. I find the, the I, I'm obsessed with my sous vide. Ask anybody that's met me in person. Uh, I love the, it lets me spend money on like a cut of meat that I otherwise wouldn't feel comfortable spending the money on. Cause what if I mess it up? Like I, I would never buy a lobster tail. What if I overcook it? Uh, I don't, I don't buy expensive steaks. What if I overcook it? So that I, I just like the peace of mind more than anything. Wow. And Luke, could you explain? Cause I think I would botch it if I tried what a sous vide is. So <laughs> A sous vide is, is actually the, the cooking method, but what it uses is it's called an immersion circulator. And so it's a bath, a water bath that is cooked, that is cooking your item at a fixed low temperature. So generally in a kitchen, you're cooking with high temperatures to get an end result. And when you're doing this, you're cooking it all the way to the end temp, which is actually generally a low temp. So like, for example, Hayden was talking about steak. I like my steak to be cooked at 125 degrees Fahrenheit. So I would, you know, set my immersion circulator to 125 degrees. It has a thermometer, a heating element and a water pump. So it, the water pump moves or circulates the liquid so that the entire bath is the exact same temperature. And then the thermometer obviously has a computer and it turns on and off the, the heating elements to maintain that one degree of temperature within the whole body of water. 
so like after you know i just leave it in for the amount of time and it basically never overcooks it right yeah it won't really go over that temperature it's kind of like one of those basic principles in you know science and like he can or you know energy can neither be destroyed nor created so like it's really hard for something to get past its own highest temp right is that like uh, i i guess i yeah yeah I got the explanation. I, it's been a long time since I took physics, but Miss Antonone would be very disappointed in me. We need a physicist on the show to explain all of our science. You know what the sad part is? Is I like I, I took Harvard's online science class, so the, they're gonna be real pissed. You took Harvard's <laughs> online science course. They're the online. Yeah, they have like an online food science course. Oh, gotcha. Funny. Well. Uh, sponsor but, Harvard. Uh, that they should pay us for that. Anyone listening who takes that course? Yeah, clearly you retain everything, <laughs> right? That class is ridiculous. What all did they teach you there? Oh man, actually, one of the biggest things I stepped away from with that was the idea of free radical hydrogen atoms, so H three and like how much acid really aff- affects what you taste and what your perception of taste is. And that was like the biggest thing I learned from it. Well, I now I'm lost. Sorry, food kind of gets me geeking out. That makes you a great guest, but uh, elaborate a little bit more, please. Uh, <laughs> I want to know. So, like, technically, well, I, I guess here's a question, William, and and I guess Hayden as well. Like, what's the first thing you think of when you drink a Coke? It's really sweet. My teeth start to rot. So you think of like how sweet it is, yeah? Like how much sugar is in it? Right. There's more acid in it than sugar. It's more acidic than it is. But the thing is, is why you perceive so much sugar and so much like sweetness is because of how acidic it is. Gotcha. Hmm. So it's not the, the sugar rotting my teeth. It's the acid. Well, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, that's why they use it to like, you know, clean stuff and like, break down stuff just because it's so acidic. So what is like, I mean, I think of citrus acid being like the number one acid in cooking. Is there another one? Is there another one that's more applicable? I mean, vinegar is is very used widely in, in a lot of different cuisines and, and you know, uh, anything, to be honest. Like your normal plain white vinegar, there's red wine vinegar, white wine vinegar, uh, champagne vinegar. I mean, so many things turn to vinegar. It's 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 incredible. But, yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty – it makes sense that citrus would be, like, the first thing you would go to for acid just because in and of itself, it's not just, you know, acid. It does have some sugars. And its own kind of like aromatic flavors that go along with it. So it's like, you know, that's why it's so popular in so many different cuisines. And it's really readily available. Like, why am I going to like, you know, let red wine go bad if I can just pull an orange and slice it? Gotcha. So you have given me so much information. I'll probably listen to this podcast like four or five times (laughs) just so I can understand what we talked about. But... If I were to leave right now and say I want to start cooking, what would be the next steps you'd give me? I mean, I know this sounds like a little much, but anybody that really wants to learn how to cook, you can go online and buy a book called The Professional Chef. And it, it'll it teach you some of those like really basic basal French cuisine techniques that will help you be a good cook at all, like in, in, in any way, shape or form. And then from there, I would say to, to really focus on learning techniques and not be so concerned with the recipes, 
So like, you know, something like as simple as stir fry, like the technique is really important in stir fry and you can make a stir fry any way you want from there. Once you understand the technique, do y'all know how to make a stir fry? Would that be, would that be something that like we could go through quickly that might actually help? That would be incredible. I would love it if you did, because I feel like that's sort of the ultimate weeknight meal. And I always kind of cheat and just cook everything separately and then throw it back together. So I'd love to know how to do it properly. As you could probably have guessed, I have literally never attempted stir fry in my life. Well, William, (laughs) stir fry is super easy. So I think this is one that like, even just from my, my like verbal explanation, you might be able to do. So Hayden talked about like cooking everything separately. That's something that you would have to do if you don't have a wok. If you have a wok, then you can do it like the traditional way. But the important thing is, you know, obviously you want to cook every, like you want to have everything prepped and ready to go. So like if I'm going to have onions and bell pepper and all that, like I want all that cut and sliced and ready to go. All my vegetables good to go. And then, so like the first thing I would do is in my wok, I want to make sure it's nice and hot. You want to have cold oil and a hot pan first because that like really helps it from sticking. There is such thing as too much heat though. If you like get it too hot, it'll, everything's just going to stick anyway. So that's like something that seems so counterintuitive, like naturally anybody talking about cooking with a wok is like saying how hot it needs to be when in reality, like heat can, can ruin your, your stir fry as well. So you like really want good medium high heat. And then, so like when you cook with a wok, are you familiar with the shape of a wok? You know, it's like this kind of like upside down hat, I guess, for lack of a better, like a tent. It's like really deep pot, right? Yeah. Not pots. Yeah. But like the whole, there's only one small portion of it that actually has contact with heat. And that's, that's like, that's like what makes it so useful. So it has these like really wide flat kind of sides i know like it's vertical but it's still it's still flat it's like kind of sloping so you want to start with like your chicken or your pork or whatever your whatever your protein is and you you fry that first and then you you use that flat surface the big sides to push up your your food on to keep it out of the heat so it doesn't like overcook and then as you're going you kind of cook each part And I like to do noodles in mine, like not everybody, you don't have to do noodles, you know, you can skip that. Uh, But I like to do different kinds of noodles, like pad thai or whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. And then, so I like to use like a mixture of soy, honey, orange, garlic, and ginger that I like pre-mix beforehand. And once everything, once all my vegetables and chicken is cooked, and you also want to make sure that your noodles are already prepared some noodles require you to like actually heat them. Others just need to be soaked in water. You know, like it just really just depends on what technique you're, you're doing for your noodles. But from there, you take your liquid, that li- liquid mixture I was talking about, and you just kind of dump it in the center. And you want it to like, like start to reduce and bubble like a lot, bubble, bubble. And it, it kind of becomes like thick. And then you drop everything back into the center and kind of toss it in with your noodles into the bubbling liquid. And that's that's really kind of like the basis of your your stir fry there. Gotcha. So when you say you use noodles, you would replace – like would you say like normally you would use rice, but you put noodles instead? Or is it just I mean, like whatever you want to put in? Yeah, I mean I like to use noodles just because like that's how I think of a stir fry. But yeah, you could use rice or or you know anything. When I do rice, I, I usually try to do fried rice for Asian style just because, like, I absolutely love fried rice. 
but I don't even I don't even like cook with rice so much these days. Don't tell my parents, like my Cuban family, they'll like that's like blasphemy. <laughs> Good to know. Well, if they listen, we'll uh, make sure they don't listen to this one. <laughs> they'll be like, "What are you using?" <laughs> Stir fry is one of the meals I used to make all the time growing up that kind of my parents had a walk. And so I used to used to try to make it the proper way. But I was really young at the time. So I ended up having to take all the individual ingredients out. But I actually recently asked them to give me the cookbook with the stir fry recipe because I loved the sauce recipe that it had in there. And so I own one. I'm an adult with one single cookbook and I only use one recipe out of it. And it's like a Cook's Illustrated quick from scratch. I just I, I want the stir fry. Hayden, don't, don't, don't feel bad. I don't, I actually don't think I own a single cookbook. That makes me feel better. It's because you are the cookbook. I mean, I have like my own recipe books that like, I have like this weird thing. How, how much for them? Oh, those are like, Hayden, I don't, I don't, I don't even know. Like they're so hard to like even read. <laughs> like I don't think anybody else can decipher it. It's like 10 bucks for the recipe and then 15 bucks for the translation. Yeah, exactly. Like. I don't even like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure everybody thinks this, but like my brain is just so different. Like it doesn't work like anyone else's. And so like when I, when I like write stuff down, I don't think it makes sense to anyone else but me. It's a great way to protect your secrets too. I mean, I, I, I really, really should just start writing it in a cipher or something. Why? You already are. Yeah. <laughs> you can take your eggs that you do for brunch and then no one will ever know them anyway because you already have your recipe coded man i want to make that so bad now it, it, honestly hayden if you can do it like go forth and conquer sometimes i wonder like if if like some of the some of the things i cook or like come up with or like things that other people like just you know people at home could actually do on their own without me there trying to like hold their hand through it you know what i mean only one way to find out i'll let you know I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, at the very least, I, you know what? I think I have it written down on, uh, like, on a on a Google Doc somewhere. Like the recipe, I'll I'll, I'll send him, I'll send a couple to you and and see if you can like try to do them. Man, I that that sounds awesome. I would love to do that actually. I go through phases where I like I either cook a lot or I don't cook at all. And I've, I've I'm entering a phase of cooking a lot lately. So, you know what's crazy? I find that for for like my own self i have these like random points in time where i'll get out of a professional kitchen for a while and i feel like that's where i do my most growing it's weird like Mm. all of a sudden i have like some crazy amounts of thoughts or ideas or like i I don't know like maybe like working in the environment kind of boxes me in i don't know it's weird well before we uh before we go any last recommendations for somebody who's you know, the Williams of the world that are interested in finally getting started. Cooking is one of those things that can be so daunting. And that's why I feel so fortunate that my parents taught me at such a young age is that nobody told me how hard cooking was before I actually learned it. Any any final tips for somebody who needs to go out and learn it for themselves? Well, I mean, I guess the biggest thing, my grandmother once told me this kind of, it kind of pertains to, to like learning an instrument, but I think it's the same here. It applies like you're never too old to learn something new. You know, it's like the most important thing about like the human experience is like continuously learning. And like we all kind of start at the same place. Like even I'm sure Gordon Ramsay was burning water at some point in time. So uh, like that's the biggest thing is not to be afraid to to break some eggs for lack of a better term. I hated saying that. <laughs> but, you know, the, the reality is, is, you know, like your worst mistake is still probably going to taste 
good enough to eat. And like, that's, that's like the biggest thing. You know, I, I like, I still make mistakes all the time when I cook, like all the time. They, they drive me nuts. Cause like, I'm supposed to know better, but you know, it happens. And honestly, like when you make those mistakes or when you learn more and you either learn something that you didn't realize you were going to like you, you were going to do like, uh, the other day I was making two different batches of blondies and one time I, I like melted the butter in advance and kind of like let it left it separate. And then the other time I actually kind of heated it on the fly and I like learned how much the temperature of my butter affects my end result. But yeah, like that, that's the, honestly the most important thing is like not to be afraid. Like, and I know that sounds kind of, like you said, it can be so daunting, but like, that's really the thing is kind of having that carefree mentality, short-term memory, however you want to describe it. Like there's always tomorrow. You're always going to need to eat in the morning or at lunch. And literally everybody does it. Like you have to sustain yourself in some manner. All right, last question before we go. What's your go-to lazy weeknight meal? You got to cook, you got food in the fridge. What do you throw together? Actually, I already kind of told you it's stir-fry. I'm like the rest of America. Is it stir-fry? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I, I think I had it or had it last week and the week before. It's at least once a week. That seems pretty common. Yeah, I mean. It must be pretty easy. Yeah, it's just, it's so delicious and full of flavor, and you can do it in a million different ways. Like, this past time I did it, my my girlfriend she like absolutely loves okra she's like from the south south and uh so i was like popping up some okra and throwing it in there that and pizza is one of those other things i like to i like to like have some naan on hand or like make some dough and then you know make make pizza from leftovers you'd be surprised what is good on pizza i don't think i would be pizza's my favorite food because everything's good on it right it's kind of like a sandwich. Anything between two pieces of bread is a sandwich. Well, anything on top of a flat piece of bread is pizza in my eyes. Oh, yeah. I, I feel you. All right, William, do you feel ready to go conquer a kitchen? I just learned that anything between two pieces of bread is a sandwich. So uh, not <laughs> quite, but I'm getting there. Hey, a hot dog's a sandwich. Okay, good. That's, that was my next question, but uh, I'm sure that'll start a debate amongst our fans. Oh, yeah. Uh, tacos a sandwich, too. What about a lobster roll? That's kind of that's kind of sandwichish. That's like a New England thing, and people. Will... Oh, that's that's it's a sandwich. That's a sandwich. Although I, I, that's one of the things I've made. Actually, I've made a lobster roll before. Oh, they're so good. So good. There was a place here in Fort Worth that was right across the street from my apartment that sold them, and and they went out of business or they they closed that location, I should say, uh, and I had to learn to make my own lobster roll real quick. There you go. So, if you guys want to know how to learn uh, how to make a lobster roll, uh, I do too. But that's all I got. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll give you a hint, and it's how I make 90% of my stuff. It, uh, it involves sous vide. Well, guys, I, I also I wanted to thank you all for kind of letting me come experience this. This is like my first time being on a podcast. But honestly, I guess I could talk about food all day, every day. So I think this is going to be uh, one of those episodes that we have you come in and do a bit of a follow-up because I, I could talk about food all day, too. I feel like I probably took too much of your time considering I'm not the expert, but I love to talk about it as well. Yeah, Lou, I was going to say, you're just obviously passionate about what you do. And it's awesome to hear just how many different things you've learned and, and uh, how well you can explain what you know. Because, I mean, I was afraid that I was going to have to get you to go down to basics and you did a great job explaining to me what I needed to know. So, Oh, well, well, thanks. I guess, to be honest with you, that's kind of a, a big compliment for me because 
like being able to teach anybody to cook in a kitchen is like one of the most important things about being an executive chef or being like a high level chef. Cause like, it's, it's one thing to be able to do it yourself. It's like a whole other level of chefdom to actually be able to teach someone else to cook. Well, I feel like I learned from this. Uh, I'm positive. William learned from this <laughs> yes. and I got to imagine our listeners did too. One can only hope. All right. Well, Lou, thanks so much for joining us. We'll include links to the, the book you mentioned and any other resources you think are valuable in the description below the episode. And we just really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, man. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, any suggestions for future episodes, or would like to be an expert on our show, please email us at 101guidetolife at gmail.com or send us a voice recording through Anchor.